As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Alex Stewart. Hi Joe. How are you? Fine, thank you. Well done. Have a nice day? Yeah. Good football, wasn't it? Uh, The football was great. Yeah, okay. We're also joined by JJ Bull, the Bull Man. Hello JJ. Hello. How are you? Yeah, wonderful. You're sitting where not Seb would normally sit, aren't you? I'm, I am sitting where not Seb would normally sit. What happened to Seb today? Uh, well, oddly, uh, was at the zoo on a day off. Yes, he was. And very unlike him to peer into the lion's enclosure. But, you know, if you lean in too far, <laughs> gravity and balance take over. Mm. Yeah. And he's not got the best centre of gravity anyway, has he? Uh, he seems well balanced to me. Sure. But when there's lions involved, it's very easy to, to go over the edge. Yeah, that's right. So if you're looking for Seb, uh, you'll no longer find him at the Old Red Lion. You'll find him in the lion enclosure of London Zoo, which I believe is actually encased in glass. But for the purposes of this, it's not. So there you go. That's where Seb is. But we're delighted to have JJ today. And uh, we're going to talk through Belgium, Italy, a big fun to be had there. And also Switzerland, Spain, even more fun to be had there. Uh, later, we'll look forward to the semi-final, which will be between Italy and Spain. I'm very excited about that game. Uh, but let me tell you what else I'm excited about, Alex. I'm excited about The Athletic, aren't you? Uh, yeah, constantly. What have you read recently which has excited you on The Athletic? Uh, well, Michael Cox did a tactical preview of the quarterfinals, mm. um, which was a nice overview of. Did he get it right? Did he get it right? Uh, yeah, uh, of course he did. He's always getting it right, isn't he, old Michael Cox? I like Michael Cox's stuff. There's some nice stats in there as well, and it, it's not the obvious stuff. There's a few things that are worth kind of looking out for, rather than things that you'd automatically see. And obviously, there's two um, quarterfinals to go, so yeah. it's, it's worth reading still. Well, there you go. Check out Michael Cox on The Athletic. And do you know, JJ, that there's currently a, an offer that you could uh, you could take if you wanted to. It's £1 per month for six months 
which is a great offer, is less, I would say, than you would spend on a new car. (laughs) (laughs) It is less than a new car. It is less than that. (laughs) Yeah. And loads of other things. In fact, it's less than most things. What will you use more? Hmm? A car to drive to the football or a subscription to the Athletic? I'd say you'd use that almost every day. You use it in the morning. You yeah. drive your car in the morning? I don't yeah. think so. I don't think so. Don't yeah. do both at the same time. But do visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO to get that uh, subscription deal for £1 per month for six months to The Athletic. And a new car. And a new car. But for now, uh, I'm very excited to talk about the, the games. They're confusing football at times. It was strange. I didn't really understand what was happening. And we're going to dig deep into the happenings of today's first two quarterfinal games with JJ Bull and Alex Stewart. I leave you on the warm hands and the cool embrace of Italy, I think we should say today. Yeah. to begin then, uh, but with uh, Belgium 1 to Italy, uh, JJ, Italy were the better team. <laughs> I know that seems straightforward. Uh, but even though this game, you know, it was uh, tighter than the previous games, they still created so many chances against quite a slow uh, Belgian defence. It was great fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. The first half was one of the most fun games to watch for the entire tournament. And some of my friends were texting me saying that uh, it was really boring, the second half. They thought it was really boring. I thought it was mm. entertaining. They said Italy was very yeah. defensive. I thought they were excellent and they were defended by attacking really high up the pitch. Yeah. And we covered this in a TIFO IRL uh, preview video we did um, about Italy. And just to say, I got almost everything right, but it's all in there. And um, that's exactly how they do it. They defend by by attacking, keeping the opposition pushed right back. And Belgium early on were trying to test that by getting balls over the top to Lukaku. Um, a couple of times it seemed to have worked, but didn't really result in any goals for them as far as I'm aware. They scored mm. a different way. Um, and then Italy just had control of the game and just kept Belgium far away from them. They couldn't They couldn't get to them at all. That's the thing. And like the Belgium defence, I mean, it's for Tongan, Alderweireld and Vermeilen. I don't even know where Vermeilen was for the last four years or something. Yeah. Japan. Japan. I think. Apparently go. he plays in the same team as Iniesta. Oh, yeah, them. Vessel uh, Kobe. Yeah. Vessel Kobe. There we go. That's the one. I don't know, when you look at when you look at the Belgium team, like they have some great players. Lukaku, obviously, De Bruyne um, are the absolute standouts. Tielemans, I think you could put him there as well. But there are lots of weaknesses and lots of averageness, lots of medium in there. And the back line, like, you're only really as strong, I always think, is your goalkeeper. The goalkeeper's quite... Courtois is very good. But the players in front of him aren't... Like you can see, that they want to play a high line so they can control possession, but you can't do it against certain teams. That's definitely why I think Chiesa started for Italy. Yeah. I mean, he was good when he came on as a sub the other day. You can just test him with balls at top, and Chiesa was very good this evening. And you saw how much damage uh, Spinazzola and Insigne were doing. And yeah. then there was a part where Insigne's goal is because the centre backs are backing off, they're not putting pressure when they should step on. They're not because they're worried, maybe because they're worried about pace. I think you were saying something about that, Alex, but same with Man City and Fernandinho. Um, yeah, so they're just stepping off of them and giving them room to take that shot because they're old. Yeah, I mean, they are yeah. super old. Uh, speaking of a player that isn't old, though, I wanted to ask you, Alex, about Marco Verratti, because he started today again over Locatelli, which almost seems unfair in some ways because Locatelli had such a bright start to the tournament. We can understand why, though. And also, Seb has left us this, uh, from the Lion's Den, has left us this lovely little uh, stat in here saying that uh, in terms of shot creating actions per 90, uh, Verratti is by far the highest in the tournament, also 4.5 key passes per 90, which is, again, the highest of anyone. Uh, I think De Bruyne was second with 3.3, so you can really see the impact there. 
And obviously while he wasn't playing in the first couple of games, he's become sort of the driving force for an Italian team which just seemed to create so much in games. Yeah, so uh, what we know about Verratti already is that he's really good at passing Mm. and that that range of passing is short, medium and long so he can keep the ball ticking over and particularly with Jorginho, who I thought excelled this evening, Mm. uh, they can maintain possession. He can also look to spring players moving into the wide areas with those little lobbed passes over the top or he can play clever through balls. He does it all. He does it all. But the other thing that he does... um, and we were trying to remember at what point he had done this in a recent game, but there was uh, an instance just before um, the one of the Italian goals where he nips in and steals possession from his pressing and then plays a short, kind of very smart pass out to the right-hand side. He did it against another team, but it was out to his left. Mm. So that that kind of aggressive snapping towards the ball, winning it back, whether it's an interception or a tackle, but then having the wherewithal to immediately play a short pass to release a player into space. That means that Italy can play this incredibly high and aggressive line because they've got a ball yeah. winner who's operating 10 yards outside the opposition box. Like, that's quite remarkable. And yes, I think Locatelli did really well. I'm, I'm a big fan of how Locatelli plays, but he tends to sit off a little bit deeper Verratti's got this aggression which allows him and also Barella to push up and really dominate those half spaces uh, on either side with Jorginho kind of anchoring and playing balls over the top. And that added additional aggression has really, really suited Italy. Here's a question, because we've seen in this tournament lots of teams play three at the back. Mm. And the last time we were here, we were chatting about England and Germany, it, you know, England, uh, I suppose, famously now matched up Germany's three. And we've heard from you before and from JJ before that that seems to be a really good thing to do when you're facing good teams who play three at the back for a whole assortment of reasons. Italy didn't do that today. Mm. And I just wanted to understand what the kind of benefits of the opposite are because they still very clearly had lots of control over the game. They had more possession. Belgium's wingbacks didn't seem to trouble them in the way that Germany's did versus Portugal, for example, what what are the benefits of staying as a four? So the benefits of staying as a four are predicated on the quality of player that you have. So there are a couple of things here that Italy were able to do by staying in a four. One of them is that their natural phase of play is to push Spinazzola very, very high on the left and tuck Di Lorenzo back almost as like a right-sided centre-back. In fact, in one other game they played... Toloi as a right back when he is effectively a centre back for Atalanta. So they do have this asymmetrical thing which does effectively leave them with three at the back because the right sided player maintains the width higher up Chiesa or Berardi and then the left wing back does that or the left the full back does that. So they've kind of got a three shape anyway. It's kind of the best of both worlds. It is the best of both worlds and I think this is one of the things and also someone like Jorginho can drop back and form that three if both fullbacks are pushing up high, which they also do. So you get the same benefits in build-up shape, but you can also maintain dominance in the midfield because you have a three-on-two in the midfield unless the wing-backs tuck inside. The other thing is, and again to go back to it, that this Italian, uh, sorry, this Belgian defence is slow. And so while they're looking to play a high line, and the wing-backs are looking to push up, that means that in this game, Insigne and Chiesa 
could occupy quite wide possessions sort of tucked in behind those wing backs, which would then allow them to run in behind and then the Italian fullbacks would push up. Mm. Now, if the Italian full, if the Italians had gone to a 3-4-3, they could still have done that, but then they would have been three on three all the time at the back without that additional man in midfield. Yeah. So okay. it made perfect sense in this instance because Italy could continue to play the way they wanted to play, but they could also target a particular weakness of Belgium's. You know, when I look at you, all I can see is Gattuso. <laughs> That's all I can see now. It was a very sometimes eloquent... Maybe good. Explanation. Sometimes no, maybe good. Yeah, sometimes maybe not. Yeah. For listeners, Alex has uh, uh, shaved much of his uh, top hair off, but he's got the bottom hair on the face there, the beard hair. And uh, as you were going through that lovely explanation, thank you for that. You just glazed over. All I could see was mm. Gattuso is explaining uh, tactics to me. It was very it was lovely. It was a lovely moment. I want you to do the same now, JJ, but I want you to do it about Barella, who scored a lovely goal, and he sort of squeezed through those three defenders, popped it round up into the top corner. He was a player that you were very excited to see before the tournament began. He was he was your pick, in a way. He was. I mean, he was Roberto Mancini's pick, but he was kind of your pick. And James Horncastle told me about him as well. Sure. Still, you know. Yeah, but it was mostly me. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, he had a great season playing for Inter Milan uh, with Antonio Conte, <coughs> Excuse me. So he played, uh, yeah, played for Inter Milan last season uh, under Conte, where you have to do a lot of running even in the midfield three, um, or midfield two, I should say. Mm. And uh, yeah, he starts to run a lot under Conte. It's what he demands of you. He does that every single week and still has energy left over. It's just a naturally very energetic, full of stamina, the boy. Yeah. That's what he's got. And uh, so he can run box to box. And you can see, like, I think a lot of people realise he would be, uh, he's 24, so he's going to come into his peak years as a midfielder now. Yeah. Great age for this tournament. Does that make sense? I don't know what I'm saying. I'd say so. That's yeah. a good age for a tournament. Yeah. 25 for the It's always a good one. age if you're ready. Is that better, 25? Uh, I the World know. Cup, it'll be 25. There's a thing where you're like young until you hit like 23, 24, and you're like, oh, I haven't filled your potential yet. Yeah. And it happens overnight. Yeah. Um, that is 24. I think that's a good point. If you're a, if you're a great, exciting prospect, you get away with it until you're 25. And then when you're 25, if you haven't fulfilled that potential, that's it, he's over. You're yeah, done. and as you, you still think they're young. But anyway, Barella is definitely... So he, he set up the um, Insignia's goal as well. He gets an assist for that, even though it's all Insignia with the stuff he does. But yeah, it's, uh, you won't get him away from Inter Milan, I wouldn't have thought, because he's so important to them there. Uh, but he is outstanding. He's full of energy, really determined. You see he's got a great touch and will happily run in behind. And like Alex was saying with the way that Italy play, the right-sided uh, winger will pull out wider to leave that kind of half space between him and the striker free. And that's where Barella goes. That's where he plays in the right midfield. So he gets into that positions. And there's goals that he scored in the build-up to the tournament where he was running through and goal. The one against Czech Republic's really good, but he drives into that space mm. that's left, mm. hits one that's deflected and goes in. Um, yeah, one of those midfielders that's kind of good at everything. There seems to be a lot of midfielders that are specific one role, don't do one thing, whereas Barella seems to be able to do all of the things that a midfielder should be able to do. Yeah. I guess also for an opposition, it's just like having another player to worry about beyond yeah, the front Yeah, both ends of the pitch, right? yeah. 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 Super stuff. Do you like him, Alex? Oh, hugely. You like him hugely? <laughs> Do elaborate. Well, what he said. The same. Okay, well, well no, let me I ask you a different question. Okay. Then, because you don't want to answer that one. Let me, let me ask you this one. Spinazzola. Yeah. Crucial to the way that Italy play. I'm going to say it. Crucial. Injured. He went mm. off injured. Uh, poor guy. He looked like he was crying on the stretcher on the way off. It, it indicates to us perhaps that the tournament is over, or at least that he thinks 
that his tournament is over. And he's been such a bright spark in that team. I mean, that's kind of lucky for Spain in a way, isn't it? Whoever Italy are going to face next, is he possible to replace? Uh, he's not possible to replace. Okay. In, in terms of how they play, his ability to act effectively as a left winger uh, when they're in possession and attacking, but also come back and make absolutely crucial defensive blocks. I mean, the block he made off Lukaku was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is just very, very unusual. Uh, under Fonseca at Roma, he was playing as a wing back. And I think that's where he developed a lot of this kind of up and down, um, you know, being able to work both ends of the pitch. He developed his attacking game enormously under Fonseca. Uh, and, uh, you know, as JJ said, the, the whole kind of shift of Italy's asymmetry is perfectly created to allow everybody to fulfill those functions. So maintaining the width on the right, that leaves the channel for Barella, but that only works because Spin Spinazzola maintains the width on the left-hand side. Yeah. So it may be that what Italy do is they tilt it and they get uh, Di Lorenzo to play much more aggressively on the right-hand side and have yeah. someone maybe like Bastoni or Toloi. So Toloi is played as a as a left-sided centre-back for Atalanta, so he can push up and overlap, which is yeah. what Atalanta centre-backs do. Uh, Bastoni can play on the left side of a, of a central defence and so has that left-foot ability. That might mean that yeah. if they tilt it, it kind of works, but it, it requires a rearrangement for them. Because otherwise it's Emerson, right? Otherwise, it's Emerson. And Which is not necessarily a bad thing. I just, it's just obviously. Well, it's he's not. just not nearly as good. Sure. So, you know, do you go with an inferior player and try and make the system exactly work? Or do you tweak the system in a way that does kind of make sense? Because if it's Toloi, for example, he still gets forwards. Mm. He just doesn't get forwards as much. But all you need to do is change the way the wingers play. And it still kind of works fairly well. Verratti still pushes up a lot. Barella could hold slightly back. I don't know. But it definitely makes Spain's task slightly easier. Would you be very worried about that if you were Roberto Mancini, JJ? Uh, I think he'll just have a straight replace. I think Emerson will go straight in and replace him in exactly the same way Spinazzola plays. But like Alex says, he's not the same player. Because Spinazzola is essentially just an every position footballer yeah. who happens to get shunted into that left position. Yeah. I don't think it doesn't matter that he's right-footed. I don't think that's really relevant. It just happens to be that he is, but he can still play in that position. Um, what you might get is a little bit of variation in how they get the ball in earlier from the left wing, but I don't know they're all about that, trying to get the ball in early at all. It's about getting to those positions, getting the shape, mm -hmm. and then going from there. And then Spinazzola rotates with other players around him that yeah. in part of the pattern when they get to that last bit of the pitch. It's interesting because there are quite a few wrong-sided left-backs at this tournament, and yeah. Mela has been particularly good. But a lot of the time what they do is they drive infield and mm. they create underlapping runs or they're looking to play passes off their stronger foot infield towards players that are dropping off. Spinazzola doesn't do that. He maintains the width and he can play with both feet. So he's quite unorthodox as a wrong-sided fullback. It's just really good. Yeah. Really. Where does he play? Spinazzola. Yeah. Roma. 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 Yeah. <clears throat> oh, there we go. Lovely. I mean, not lovely. Sorry for him. He's been great. Yeah, it really sucks. He's out. Um, it's been a lot of injuries, hasn't there, JJ? Yeah, it seems to be a lot of muscle injuries, but I mean, not a doctor, but I assume that's something that would be a natural consequence of a season sure. where you're playing a game every three days and having yeah. to sleep in a COVID bubble all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I'm really curious to see next year? 
the World Cup because it's been played in November and December, right, in the middle of the season. Yeah. I mean, they will have, have have had less of a summer in order to deal with that kind of break in the middle. But curious to see them play at an international tournament kind of midway through their season stamina levels. Well, I mean, I don't know if they've got this that kind of idea where they're going to air condition the outside <laughs> to make it playable for the players. That's a that's a genuine thing I saw. They're trying to like air condition the outside <laughs> so they can. Play because you can't play when it's as hot as being in an oven. But they're air conditioning the stadiums, aren't they? No, but I mean like, literally the air. Like, do you mean in the stadiums? Uh, I think so. I think also outside. Yeah, I know this sounds. I know How I've do you air condition outside. Like I've had a knock to the head, but like someone I'm, was telling me that I got in a cab with someone, and he was saying the driver was saying he spent a lot of time in, in Qatar. He said that there'll be like, you know, air conditioned bus stops, and then you don't like. You just people just won't go outside if they don't, you know, they won't need to, is what he's Yeah, it's to too hot to do anything. Yeah. Which is why it's held that time of the year anyway, but still very. And the stadiums very hot. have all got roofs, haven't they? So they're going to roof, roofs, roofs. So you can, anyway, I don't know why we're talking about this. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, Belgium. Disappointing, JJ. Uh, they are ranked number one in the world. I will remind you that they are ranked number one in the world. But do, when you look at that defense, as you've kind of mentioned already a little bit, you don't really think that, do you? No, I think that's the thing. I I genuinely didn't think they. I know they're one of the favourites, and they've got like these great players. Like I said, right number one in the world. Yeah, I mean, there's just. I think there's just missing. I think the way Roberto Martinez makes them play, they don't really. There's no variation from that three four three really ever. I've um, there might be an occasional occasional tweaks. The changes they made late on, I couldn't really work out what the system is meant to be. It seemed to be more like, as Alex said, vibes. I kind of, I kind of get that. Like just throwing on Martin, uh, Dries Martins, put him. That was exciting. I was confused. I'm similarly confused to you. I know that somebody in the chat said at the beginning as well was anti-football for the last twenty minutes. I assume they mean from Italy. You're saying your friends thought that. I thought it was cool, man. I thought like suddenly everyone was just going for it. it. Belgium was just trying to go from end to end. Get the midfield. Don't need a midfield if you're losing. Just get the ball up front and get all your boys up the pitch. Yeah. And then Italy lock it down because they do, and then. To the most weaselly thing you can do and pretend to be injured every time you get sure. touched. Yeah. Uh, but they win the game. It's the kind of thing that you said about Scotland and England players that they should be um, accepting the ways of the weasel earlier. <laughs> I like I weasels. So the weasels are very noble animals. They, uh, I think they are the most weasely of the animals. They get very unfair rap a weasel, I would yeah. say. Also ferrets. Mm. Sure. But what do ferrets do that a weasel doesn't? What's a weasel? Why is a weasel racing? Climb up the old trouser leg. That's what the ferret does, isn't it? Yeah. That's the ferret thing racing. The ferret ferret I racing. I don't, yeah, I don't think you can race weasels because weasels are too... far more feral than ferrets. This aren't is they? the thing. Yeah. I mean, aren't ferrets are domesticated, right? Yeah. Do you get wild ferrets? Yeah, for sure. You do. They just keep well, out of sight. <laughs> I mean, they were all originally wild. So. Well, yeah. I mean, everything was originally. Wild. They were only domesticated. Although you don't get wild cows, do you? No. Or buffalo? I mean, also dogs. Dogs the oryx didn't exist was a in wild the way. Cow. Dogs are just domesticated wolves, right? Over a long period of time. Yeah. I genuinely don't know whether the ferret is is wild, whether you get wild ferrets or whether they are entirely domesticated. I'm sure there probably are wild ferrets. Someone in the chat will tell us. We'll pick that up in a couple of minutes' time. But until then, Alex, tell me about Belgium now, because presumably, I think it's too harsh to say this will be a rebuilding job. But they are kind of at the end of that golden generation time, aren't they? I mean, like some of their more important players are growing older. We're all growing older. They're a domesticated species of polecat. There you go. 
They're a cat. Polecat. Um, yeah, it's it's disappointing for them because obviously there is going to be a transition and you would kind of think that this tournament would be the opportunity to particularly transition in some centre-backs. You know, there are yeah. a couple of decent young Belgian centre-backs. Who's left? People like, oh, do you mean the defenders coming through? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just mean anyone other than the ones that played. <laughs> so someone like Edward Plettinks is good. Um, there's uh, there's a guy at Bruges whose name I've forgotten. I should have prepared that. But, Lovely city. But it it's sort of a bit odd that you have you have younger centre-backs who are left on the bench, and obviously Boyata and, and Denier did something to fall out of favour. I didn't um, really notice anything. Not really. And and Denier, or Denier, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, played pretty well in the international games up until the, the beginning of the tournament and, yeah. and had that ability to kind of push forwards and and carry the ball up. And he was a much more proactive centre-back in that back three. Mm. Uh, of So he would be the middle one and he would be the one who would push up and contest the ball or push up and close down the striker if the striker was dropping off. Yeah. Uh, and again, that was something that Belgium really weren't doing in this game. And JJ alluded to it earlier with the goal where they were backing off Insigne. If you're slow, that's because if you, you're worried that if you step up, you're going to get done for pace in the kind of close quarters. Yeah. So you back off and back off and try and narrow the angle and protect your goalkeeper in the assumption that the shot's going to end up being blocked or go wide. Um, so yeah, Belgium have this kind of period of rebuilding, but they do still have, obviously, in Lukaku and De Bruyne, uh, Tielemans, you know, there is a spine of players there that are really good. Doku came on, carried the ball a huge amount. Sorry, didn't come on, started. Carried the yeah. ball a lot. Does still need a little bit more end product, I think, but this was partly a function. He people. I thought it was quite fun. He did. Um, Scouted Football, who, which is a, a great um, Twitter account, were, were saying that he has this little sort of drop shoulder and spring like mm. a rugby union winger, mm. which is very true. Um, but because of the way that Belgium weren't getting players forwards to support him, that a lot of those runs were ending up with him kind of going down a cul-de-sac because yeah. Di Lorenzo could just shepherd him away and it wasn't, you know, there was not a lot to to help him out there. Yeah. Um, was it uh, Machele that you were thinking of at Club Bruce? Some people in the chat have uh, suggested that that might be the case. Or uh, Machele? I'm not sure how you say it. No, he's, uh, he's a midfielder, I think. Oh. I, I can't remember. I'll, I'll Who knows? try and work it out. But yeah, it's, um, I don't know. They, they presumably will now look away from Roberto Martinez. Mm. But I, I think, again, it's it's going to be difficult. The The Belgian club game, I don't think, has any particularly strong coaches coming through or people that are naturally going to take that job on. Yeah. So it's hard to, to see where it goes from here. There's also seem to be the international management, the way to do it is to be like what Gareth Southgate is doing with England and uh, making sure you don't concede goals at all ever. Um, you can say you can argue that the way that Belgium control games is their way of doing that. Rather than being defensive, they control it by having the ball so the opposition can't score. Yeah. But, I mean, if they just were really solid and tried to just only play on the counter, like Italy had more of the ball than them today and they normally have more of the ball, Belgium. So that's the thing they're used to having possession, but they, they're not used to really being on, not the back foot, but yeah. having to play in that way. 
and it might be they just need to have a little variation how they play and maybe f- set up to pretend they're worse than they actually are. Get Polis in. Yes. What do you think? Sam Allardyce. Yeah, well, no. I prefer Polis, I'll be honest. Well, anyone like that. Um, not actually them, but there was someone you could get in that would do a job and I don't know, I don't think there's anything wrong with Martinez. Like he's one of the most sure. highly regarded coaches like in world football ever. Anyone you see talk about him says that like obviously the ideas he has and the sessions he puts on and the way he seems to manage players and people yeah. is really impressive. But I mean, that's, Bel- yeah, that's Belgium kind of done now. <laughs> that's Belgium. Yeah. This just in. Michael Cox and Tom Warville are speaking on Twitter. That's exciting, isn't it? Twitter's got that new thing where you can listen to them talk. Mm. So if you want to abandon us and go and listen to Michael Cox and Tom Warville, now's the time. But we'll be back after this break to do more of the same thing. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right. Okay. Let's uh, carry things on now with uh, Switzerland 1, 1 Spain. And of course, Spain went through on penalties. It was a bizarre penalty shootout, JJ, wasn't it? Let's do penalties first because they were very, very odd. Switzerland were so good in their penalties against France. Uh, but they were pretty awful here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what I wanted to ask you about was, uh, I wanted to ask you to tell me to talk through the difference, and we mentioned this before, the difference between goalkeeper-dependent penalties and goalkeeper-independent penalties, because there seemed to be some confusion from the Switzerland players. I mean, there's you take a penalty however you want to, but mm-hmm. the important thing is that you smash it in the back of the net, or at least sure. beat the goalkeeper. <laughs> right? And that would be an independent uh, well, right? this way, when, when Alan Shearer used to step up and take a penalty, he said he would always, well, what did he say? I've, I've watched it the other day. I can't remember exactly what he said. So let's not paraphrase Fine. Alan Shearer sure. and talk ill of him. I yeah. love Alan Shearer. Okay. Now, if you're taking a penalty, you want to just think where you're going to put it. You often hear this. You want to know where you're going to put it. You don't make any changes to your mind when you're up to the, the ball. Yeah. And then you... Don't change that mind. Don't change the mind and yeah. put the ball into the goal. Yeah. Um, Stuff it in. Yes. Yeah. So either... So what a lot of penalty takers do now, Jorginho's one, uh, I think Pogba does it, Bruno Fernandes does it, Yeah. is they run up, they take one of these little hop, skip, jump things and they use that time before they strike the ball to look at the goalkeeper and in that little slowing down period, they see which way the keeper's going and then they place it the other way. Yeah. And I think it's a goalkeeper dependent penalty. That is dependent on the goalkeeper. So you are dependent on what you're, yeah. So you are making your mind up based on what the goalkeeper would do, is doing so you can beat them. So like the psychology of the penalty is what's helping you win it basically yeah. rather than technique. Although it is technique that you're doing. Well, that requires extra ice coolness, doesn't it? It requires supreme confidence. Yeah. Uh, probably just ap- actual arrogance. Yeah. Um, real high technical uh, quality and belief. Also, because you're not allowed to fake it anymore, are you? Do you remember there was like there was that uh, sort of controversial incident maybe 10, 15 years ago where a player did a fake run-up 
and then pretended to shoot and didn't yeah. shoot, and the goalkeeper went, and then and they changed the rule so you can't do that. I think I can't remember the exact rules, but yeah, you just can't. I think I think the the rule is like just don't take the mick. That's yeah. the kind of thing yeah. you do, and. Uh, so they'll, they'll do this, and Fernandez is very good at it, Jorginho is very good at it, and they roll in the goal, because as soon as the goalkeeper pushes his weight to one side of his body, there's no way he's getting out of that. The balance has shifted, can't go anywhere else. Glad you're yawning while I'm telling you about this. And that's, <laughs> it rolls in the goal, that's what you do. But just put your foot through it. Yeah. Like, if you're nervous and you're stepping up, like I think yeah. it's a Kanji's penalty... It was awful. Awful. I just, like, there, were, there were two from Switzerland. It looked like they were trying to wait for the keeper to go. But I think you described when we were watching them, it looked like they were lining up for the goalkeeper-dependent penalties where they wait to see where the keeper's going to go before they place it, but then placing it <laughs> where the keeper went. Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't it. make any sense. I think maybe it's just a really good bit of um, goalkeeping by Unai Simon in, in this Spanish goal where he's he, he moves his body from like side to side. Boop, boop, boop. Like that kind of, yeah. oh, you can't see that in an audio platform, but he's doing that. You can hear the bub, bub, bub. Zip, zip, zip. And then the last like zip is what's making him go that way, but he's already going that way. It's just bad. It's bad. And I think if you're nervous and, you, and they look nervous, I think stepping up as well, mm. it seemed less nervy in the last penalty that they took. Just put your foot through it. Yeah. Like, especially your nervous. Because at least, even if you go down the middle, if you hit it so hard that the keeper can't do anything about it. Yeah. The worst case is, I mean, you put it over, which they also do. <laughs> But yeah, they just kept missing. It was awful to watch because uh, mm. Spain missed their f- or missed the first penalty. I think yeah, it was a post and out, wasn't just it? Just gets hit the post. Just yeah. gets hit the post, and then uh, whoever went first for Switzerland scored. And after that point, they just kept missing, kept missing. You kept thinking, "Goodness me, they've really spurned it." But hey, man, they took them all the way. Next thing I want to talk about, though, though, it. Next thing I want to talk about is though uh, the red card, Alex. Um, because uh, it was remember Froehler, seventy-six minutes in, very divisive, as it turns out. Heated argument with Seb Stafford Bloor from the Lions Den. Yeah. Um yes, it was divisive. It's it's I suppose it's becoming increasingly common to look at one's Twitter feed and see people going, That's the worst red card in history. Yeah. And you don't know what they mean by that. I couldn't understand it's, it at all. I mean, I think As in it was a red card. That is my opinion, yes. Yeah. I don't um, understand. But a lot of people are going to disagree with us. Um, Lots of people already did. Sure. Uh, I guess to me that, you know, there are there are two feet going forwards. The ball is kind of not really taken. I, I, the, the main issue, I suppose, is the intent, that, that he's going pretty hell for leather towards the player's legs. And it's a bit, it's reckless, isn't it? And I guess sure. this is why it wasn't overruled by VAR because there isn't a clear and obvious error there that the referees made under the the laws of the game, a tackle or challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent or uses excessive force or brutality, brutality must be sanctioned as serious foul play. Any player who lunges at an opponent and challenging for the ball from the front, from the side or from behind using one or both legs with excessive force or endangers the safety of an opponent is guilty of serious foul play. And you can yeah. very easily argue that that was excessive force, that it was a lunge, that there were two feet. Having said that, there will be some people who say, okay, well, that that could have been a yellow. And I think probably if it had been a yellow, that wouldn't have been VAR'd up to a red either. Yeah, maybe. So it's just weird. I mean, the, the main I, point I mean, is that... it's a two-footed that- tackle. I don't you're, get it. You're asking, it. Yeah. You're asking a, an individual on the pitch as a referee to make a decision. You're then, which obviously has interpretation and nuance and all of the rest of it in it, you're then referring that to VAR, which is another individual 
with discretion and nuance and all of that to review that decision. And and so, but under the laws of the game, it makes sense that it's a red. Yeah, I don't get it at all. I mean, like there are a handful of people in the chat who, who disagree. Of course, everybody is entitled to their opinion, however foolish the opinion is, but I don't understand. I mean, the player went in with two feet. It's a two-footed tackle. They're pretty much always red cards. Studs up on the, on the underneath foot. It's his fault that he lets his following foot go through before uh, before he hits the player. He goes over the top of the ball. I genuinely can't. I'm astounded by the reaction. And I'm astounded by Seb Stafford Blaw's reaction, JJ, because he was virulent in the TIFO WhatsApp mm. group chat that it was a red card. I'm quite sad that he is currently being eaten by lions and not here so that he can't defend himself. But I did get him to record a little message for us explaining why he thought it was a red card. And I'm going to play that. And I'm hoping that the, the microphone is going to pick that up. Here we go. Here we go now. Oh, and as, as I've said that, my phone's turned sideways. Here we go. It's not a red card for me because he's not really... It was a red card. And that's the kind of analysis that we would have got if Seb was here. Why? Because I would have shut him down if he was in the room, just like I shut him down on the WhatsApp chat. It was a red card, Seb. Wasn't it, JJ? Yeah. And for context, that message is about a minute 30 long, isn't it? And you cut him off after four seconds. Yeah, I cut him off after four seconds. Yeah. I did ask him specifically to go somewhere quiet and record that and try to be as clear as possible so that people would be able to hear it. All the while knowing, Seb, that I wasn't even going to let it play because it was a red card. And what I say is correct. Anyway, this isn't match of the day, JJ. Tell me about Spain's performance. Uh, I think Spain are really good when they pass the ball quickly and have a bit of aggression to their uh, play. Sure. Yeah. So, like, not as in the lunging tackle, which was definitely a red card by the other team, <laughs> which is Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. I knew that. Yeah. I knew that. Speaking uh, of the red card, though, this was interesting because it felt like beforehand, Spain were very controlled. Spain were on top of the game. They had it by the, by the neck, right? After the red card, it felt slightly different. They seemed slow. They didn't reacts in the way that you would want them to against 10 men? Um, I think uh, I should really know this before I even look at it. Was the red card after the goal that Switzerland scored? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was 76 minutes in. Yeah. So I think Spain had started to do this thing they do where they don't... So let's say when they're really good when they pass the ball aggressively and at high tempo and there's that real like tip-tap, uh, tip-tap to the way they're playing. As soon as they lower that, they become, because they're so wide and open to be able to have all these little passes they can do. Like you saw the way that their wingers were hugging the touchline the entire game. So yeah. they're just trying to be as wide as they can and make sure they're getting the ball from back to front, through lines, like in control, control the game. Again, like if they control the game by having the ball. But as soon as they stop passing it with a tempo, it's easier to close them down and take them to one side of the pitch and close them. If you don't have any variation, it's not just all about being fast all the time, it's variation in tempo. Like being fast for a certain bit, and then slowing it down to control it and calm it down. Then when you know, pick it up like a, you know, like a volume control, go up and down. I don't know why you'd be doing that on volume control. Have it at one volume, stay there. <laughs> but they could do that on the football pitch, and that's what makes them good. But like, yeah, and you see that when they start to let it go, and that's when um, uh, the Switzerland win the ball, hit the pitch. Why have I forgotten that again? <laughs> and that's how they get in. It's, it's, a, it's just a mistake. <clears throat> There's also the defensive error. You could say that. Um, uh, oh my God, the defenders are in a mix-up. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Without seeing their names. Laporte and Torres. I'm so sorry. I wasn't really listening to you. I was I just think I stopped listening to myself. But, but there's, there's a reason for that, the, the, that mix-up. And we had a look at it on, on the footage. And Spain are in possession prior to that goal. And the ball comes in field, short pass, to a Spanish player who's going to control it. 
and Torres drops away into his left to show as a passing reception option for that player. And that player gets robbed of the ball. And so Torres is out of position, having wandered away from his player for no real discernible reason, um, because he wasn't the only passing option. But Spain was so focused on retaining possession and on how they play out that they that, that Torres basically abdicated his defensive responsibility of staying with that man while the ball was okay in Spanish possession, but still relatively close to the Spanish goal. And that suddenly meant that when that quick interchange of passes happened, Torres was then scrambling and then Laporte has to come over and help him out. And that that's where mm-hmm. the issue comes from. But I think that's indicative of how Spain got themselves kind of into this mentality of, okay, we're in charge now. We make over 700 passes and we keep the ball and it'll all be fine. And that's their first thought. It's not to the right way of playing rather than trying to get the win almost, like being obsessed with winning, just yeah. passing it around, stroking it about. Yeah, there's something that I don't like about them. And, and they were really good against Slovakia. Sure enough, they, were, they fell apart. Like yeah. they were, I mean, they just crumbled. Um, but there was a certain uh, temp, just tempo, I think, just really, really, they seemed desperate to win. Like they knew they had to win and they were not going to let them go and they were uh, biting into them ferociously cornered, like the Lions with Seb. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but Seb's fighting them off. He's, Gorging on his flesh. He sent us pictures. He's doing very well. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they, they're playing Italy in the next game. And Italy are going to be really fast at them, aggressive, push them high. The the one thing that you could see about Spain in this game as well, not the one thing, there's many things, but one thing you could see about them is Gerard Moreno came on as a sub at halftime for Sarabia. Mm. He must have been injured, was he, maybe? I'm not sure where he went off. I don't know. Someone stood in his foot earlier. Maybe that was it. But he uh, he missed two like massive chances. He missed one in the near post from about two yards, and he missed another from a, a corner from six yards, headed it with his shoulder. Like this kind of thing you shouldn't do if you're that level of a striker. And it's a problem, the same sort of problem they've got with Morata, where they have all the ball and they create loads of chances, but they don't finish them. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it sounds very basic, but that is well, their as evidenced by today, I mean, they played yeah. 120 minutes of football and penalties to get past uh, Switzerland. No mean feat, of course, France couldn't manage that earlier. But, you know, you would hope that, as you say, you had those two big opportunities there, finish it off in the game, don't play the extra half an hour. Spain completed 881 passes this game. That's a lot of passes. 28 shots. Yeah. Which that that level of dominance, you just shouldn't not win. You should be scoring more than one goal. You really should. I mean, if you're if you're taking 28 shots and you're converting one, that's quite bad. Well, this brings me to my to my next point. Two things here, Alex. The first is that Spain actually have the highest goal creation actions. Per 90, I'm looking at you confused when I say that. Yes, that is the thing. Yeah. Of any team in the tournament, the highest goal creation, that you can tell us what that means in a minute. Okay. But also, here's another thing, because you were saying before about you know Spain being kind of obsessed with the right way of, of playing. Mm. Seb's left these lovely stats in here for us from the Lions Den. Uh, they also have the highest long pass completion rate at the Euros, which is fine, good passes. But they've also completed the highest number of crosses during the tournament, which is surprising based on how you think that they play. Because it, it sounds like... You know, going. it sounds like we're going back to the old Tony Pulis conversation. That's wrong for sure. Explain to me why. <laughs> no, it's not wrong. Um, yeah, so they've, they've, not only do they have the highest 
pass completion rate for long passes, but they've also completed the most. Mm. So they're the most accurate, but they're the biggest by volume too. That's yeah. quite unusual. Yeah. A lot of that is down to Emmerich Laporte. Um, right. He has two main passes. And as JJ said earlier, the way Spain like to play is that the, the wingers stay very, very high and wide, um, kind of like old school Pep Guardiola stuff Yeah, before cutting inside. And Laporte will either look uh, to kind of turn back inside with his left foot and hit raking balls across to whoever the right winger is because although Ferran Torres started on the right, him and Sarabia swap like every 20 minutes or so, they'll swap sides. Yeah. Um, or he does this long pass, which is sort of back inside and then up the center of the pitch through the left half space as a sort of dink over the top for a player to run into. Um, sometimes it's Pedri, other times it'll be like Morata coming across. So this is very much a way that they progress the ball upfield and then they all rush up to join that. It's kind of like their get out card. And Tell me about the get out card after this break. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back from the break, and all I want to hear about, all I've been thinking about during the break, Alex, was the get-out card. Yeah. So you can't always pass your way out of the back nicely. Um, and if you have uh, a centre-back who is very good at these long passes, think uh, Liverpool and Virgil van Dijk. Sure. It, it's a way of accessing your wingers, because if your wingers stay very, very high and wide, which Spain's do then you can isolate the opposition fullback. Or if the opposition fullback is pushed up as part of a press or part of a block, sometimes you'll find that those wingers are actually behind or, or closer to the opposition goal than the fullbacks are. So having a pinpoint accuracy centre-back who can play that particular pass with their left foot to open out that angle mm. is a really effective way of progressing the ball up the pitch. And what Italy then like to do is come back inside from that position. So they make all of that ground up. Italy? Sorry, Spain. There we go. Thank you. They make all of you're that welcome. ground I've up. You're welcome. I've corrected you. You're welcome. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's so good that you're here to catch me when I fall. No problem. Um, then the rest of the team rushes up. Pedri will sit in the left half space and recycle that possession. And, and this is the problem. If that were Italy... They would just, and I meant Italy there, mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. um, they would just take a shot straight away. Sure. Uh, it, when it's Spain, it's part of a plan that tends to necessitate the rest of the team catching up and then creating something a little bit more intricate. Sure. So A lovely circle. Yeah. So it's a way of getting the ball up the pitch, but I don't think that they capitalize it on it in quite the way that they could do. 
That's one of the good things about Spain's centre-backs, JJ. The passing volume and accuracy. Hmm? But, <laughs> but, 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 I want to hear about issues for Spain now. Because sure, sure, good team, yeah? But they've got problems at the back. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this in one of the other podcasts that we've done, where mm. it talked about how Laporte is basically brand new to this squad. Yeah. Because he was French until about four weeks ago. And then also, I mean, they're playing Eric Garcia, uh, who is clearly very good with the ball, but I don't see him as being anywhere near like hard enough. Um, maybe he is, but I don't see it. Sure. Um, and then Pau Torres seems a bit not lightweight as well, but it's, there's something you can you can definitely body him and get him out. Like I don't think a big striker's immobile wouldn't be uh, fear to playing against. I, I think he is lightweight. Yeah. I think he. He's, he's often linked with Premier League clubs because he's a very capable passer and he's good at bringing the ball forwards. Um, but if you actually watch him play week in, week out, you just think he would get he would get bodied in the Premier League. You know, and that's not like... That's what they said about oh. John Stones, though, and then he got good. Um, he Yeah, he's, he's good, but also he plays alongside a much more physical centre-back. And so generally speaking, the other centre-back will take the one... Because most Premier General League point, though, Can't you just send them to the gym? You know, can't you just give them a sort of lifting exercises and then they yeah, get stronger? that's true. But sometimes if you add too much muscle mass, then you're taking away from other aspects of their game. Maybe they just have a lighter frame. I mean, like Ruben mm. Diaz is built like a brick outhouse because he's got those sure. broad shoulders and everything. Like you, it's not just the muscles. It's just it's his, it's all of his bones. Right. Exactly. So uh, so yeah, I would say Torres is lightweight. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We need defenders with more bones. Yeah. <laughs> that would really help. He reminds me a bit of like Victor Lindelof. That kind of you know, yeah. Man United very good with the ball, but yeah, sure. it's quite there. But that's why Lindelof tends to step back and and sweep. Yeah, and Maguire takes the man because most Premier League sides will play with one striker up front, so you can do a man for man on that one with the more mm. strong physical big different. lad, big lad. Big I mean, lad. Maguire is a big old lad, isn't he? Well, the other thing, I mean, it might just not be that. I think if you put balls into the box against that Spanish centre-back pairing, I think there's, I think you not bully them, but you can definitely win a fair share of battles against them. But that's not solely because it's just how the two of them play, whichever pairing is there. It's often because the way they play and when they slow down and you can tackle them high up the pitch and they're very exposed, so they're they're vulnerable. So it's not, you know, if you're playing against, if you're playing behind that two, behind a very defensive three and one of the, the mm. fullbacks tucks in or something, you're going to look a lot more solid than you do when you're trying to play more expansive football, but just not quite at the same rate. Yeah. Another thing with like Spain as well, like Luis Enrique, like, I know they've got this association Spain with playing that kind of ticky tack away. They don't play that way anymore. They still like yeah. to keep the ball and they like to to move it around constantly. The ball has to move constantly, so players have to move constantly, and that's how they they play. You know, they they stop at halftime. That's when they stop moving. Yeah. But Enrique at Barcelona is his best team there was quite direct. Like they they kept the ball in the two, but they went from back to front very quickly. Yeah. Which helped I think may also explain some of the long passing. And also they'll move the ball to one side of the pitch and then switch it would be another reason with it. So it's all about getting from back to front as quickly as they can. Then a lot of teams now sit off them a little bit and try and stop them playing through uh through lines so they don't really have an option. I don't know. Like the centre backs probably yeah, that would be their weaker point, even though they have good individual centre-backs. Because yeah. often defending is not just the case of one person, it is mm. the team. You know why he likes the long balls? Because uh, he's uh, Luis Enrute up the top. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want to, yes, and you there, but... 
It's not hopeful. No. Alex. Hi. Speaking of hope, Jan Zomer had a good game, didn't he? I felt a bit bad for him. He had a good game. He did. uh, He made 10 saves in that game, which is a record uh, for this tournament. And he's made 15 in the knockout stages, uh, which is the most by any goalkeeper in the competition's recorded history, according to Optar. Yeah. Um, And yes, he, I mean, it just seems like Spain versus Zomer really didn't it um and some of those saves he he's quite a well he's often quite a proactive goalkeeper he likes to come out and narrow the angle but what impressed me was because uh, switzerland were dropping so deep and he quite often had a defender really close in front of him yeah uh i thought did well making a lot of blocks and stuff but that meant that quite a few of those saves uh, i'm thinking of the moreno volley were coming from really close because Switzerland were holding such a deep line that they kind of had no to be. Yeah. And so it was all just pure reaction stuff. Mm. Uh, and he did brilliantly. He's very unlucky to to be on the receiving end of a defeat there. I mean, on Switzerland as well, you feel a bit bad for them, don't you, JJ? Because Granit Xhaka was suspended, of course, who's maybe their best player, right? And also, added to that, Braylon Bolo went off with a hamstring injury about 25 minutes in, that's a shame. That's two two players who are the best players at helping them make things happen. Yeah. I mean, it's not even that they are the best players. It's that, like, Xhaka controls the game. Yeah. So he's the guy in control of everything for them. He takes the, dictates the tempo of how they play. He can uh, spray the ball whenever he needs to to get up the pitch when he needs to. And uh, on, on that note, that's exactly what um, Mbolo brings as well. Is yeah. He drives the ball. He carries mm. it. You saw it in the first game against Wales. The difference he made at halftime and just, just told him to drive in that space. And doing that took them up the pitch and relieved the pressure. So when you're playing against Spain who are pushing you back and they push up, I mean, the goal came from them pushing slightly higher up the pitch yeah. and, and getting their luck with that. Um, yeah, they really, yeah. So not having the guy controlling tempo of the game and controlling the passing and then losing the player that can carry them up the pitch made an already difficult task far too hard. Yeah, shame, shame. Yeah. Well, there we go. Switzerland will always be remembered for knocking France out. That was fun and exciting, wasn't it? Uh, it was fun. I was also I was wondering if somebody put a tweet out. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was. I can't remember the author, but wondering uh, if this was the first time that uh, a team would have been the first time that a team could have won two penalty shootouts in a row in knockout stages of a tournament. I can't remember a team that have done that before. Switzerland, of course, haven't done it, so it doesn't matter. But um, they came close. They came close. Anyway, points are bad. They're not that bad today, but they're quite bad um, for JJ. Has he gained? No. Alex had a perfect score for the. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I think Seb has changed my points to Roman numeral points, <laughs> and I can't read that. So it's I need... 124. Okay, thanks to the private school boys for being able to read my Roman numeral. Thank you. I assume <laughs> it was you, Seb. Very funny. I don't like it. It's not fair to mock people for being poor or poorly educated, and uh, you know, not a good uh, spend of your time when you should be dodging lions down there in the London Zoo. Uh, anyway, bad day for JJ because Alex has opened the gap up further to nine points from six. So he had a perfect score on the Italy-Belgium game. He said 2-1. It was 2-1. These things happen. I was had a pretty decent one. I said 3-1 Italy. Only one point gained there. Only one bad point. But yes, I'm on Roman numerals now. Uh, Alex is leading the pack on 94 JJ following up on 103. Oh my God, Seb's going to catch me. And Seb's on 108. He also had a decent enough day. Seb's also been kind enough 
to uh, to send in his uh, his PAB predictions. We're calling it PAB now. Points are bad PAB. Uh, his PAB predictions for tomorrow. Uh, Seb says Denmark uh, two one Czech Republic, and England one nil Ukraine. So JJ, I'll come to you <coughs> first for your PABs for tomorrow, please. PAB me. Uh, Denmark uh, versus no 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 wait wait wait. Can I wait. ask you first? You're absolutely right. You're I remembered that as you were making that face at me, yeah. Alex. You should be going first here. Uh, Pab, please for Denmark, uh, Czech Republic. Three one Denmark. Three one Denmark. Hot diggity dog. Okay, and uh, England, Ukraine, please. Two 0 England. Well, there we Denmark go. have got the ball in the opposition box more than any other team so far, and have the third highest xG four. So, sounds like you should be predicting Czech Republic, JJ. Alex is using statistics to win this. Yes, he does And care. I should have done this. Do you know where well, I got those statistics from? You know, Joe, don't you? Your parents' house. You know. <laughs> what? No, I don't know. What? What? It's the end. From The Athletic. From The Athletic, did mm. you? Is it? Would you think it's fair to say that The Athletic is helping you win this game? In part. At such a low cost. Anyway, tell me, JJ, what you think about uh, Denmark, Czech Republic, please. <clears throat> Uh, I, I think it's going to be definitely <laughs> agony on your face, riddled with I agony. I really, really want to not finish. Go, 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 uh, go. Denmark, would you say two? He said three I one. I said three one. Seb said two one. Denmark, uh, two. Czech Republic, three. There we go. Yeah, see, this is not far from what I was going to say, too. But you've beforehand, England, Ukraine, please. 2 0 England. 2 0 England, same as him. That's not a good tactic. Oh, that's what you said. You've got to catch up. You've got to catch up. Oh, I can't do that. Okay. uh, 4 1 England. Yeah. Again, great. You're going to be sticking with me here. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's good good for you to know that your approach is very similar to mine because I'm doing excellently well at the game. My score's so big, it's in Roman numerals. Okay. For me, I'm going to say that the Czech Republic will beat Denmark 2-1. I think that's going to happen. And also I'm going to say that England will beat Ukraine 7-0. <laughs> oh, you drunk, man. Now I push that up. Joe has to go the extra mile to make it funny. Yes, I know. I know. Thanks. I was hoping not to gain six points tomorrow, <laughs> but I will be now. Right, there we go. Yes, as Aaron in the chat says, Alex is in JJ's head now. I would say living rent-free. Rent-free. Pab, pab, pab. This yeah. is where the game is fun. At the beginning, it was just, just a silly game. We didn't understand the rules. And then there was the song, then there was the second series, and now there's a psychological breakdown. It's very exciting. Pab. Anyway, Alex Stewart, thanks today. Thank you, Joe. And JJ Bull, the bull man, thanking to you. Thanks. Oh, hello. <laughs> Your whole body clicks. That's a weird sound. Clicking yeah. into action. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about those big, big games. Very exciting. And uh, who knows if Seb will be here or not. We just couldn't say. Maybe he'll be in another difficult situation. Uh, but for now, we'll say uh, thanks as usual to our crack production team of Craig and Sol. And there's Sol's hand there. It's a lovely hand. Right, that's the end of the show. We'll be back tomorrow. Bienvenue. Ciao. Tous. Other things. Other things.